Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 15 of Mike Check on Sports. I'm Steve Napolitani. As a son of a former small business owner, I want to start recognizing some small businesses out there that need our support during this time. I went back and asked some of my guests who they would like to give a mention to. Dave Maloney wanted to mention the guys at Greenwich Hardware in Connecticut. Kenny Albert supports Rudy's Pizza in Kloster, New Jersey. Doc Emmerich wanted to mention all the great people at Neiman's Family Market in the tight-knit community of St. Clair, Michigan. And Bill Pito wanted to mention the Doro Restaurant Group and Crown Market in West Hartford, Connecticut. I would like to dedicate this episode to Benny Tadinos in Hoboken, New Jersey. My next guest has been a staple on WFN Radio in New York. He was a regular on the Regis and Kelly talk show, and he could talk about growing up in Brooklyn with my wife for hours. It's Rich Ackerman. Ack, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I guess that, that is a great introduction right there. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say staple on Regis and Kelly, but I had a, had a little cameo here and there. So. <laughs> how are you occupying all your spare time? Uh, actually, I've been pretty busy, which is, I've been very fortunate and very thankful for. Uh, we are still doing updates, and we still have talk shows going on on WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. So uh, there has been surprisingly a lot of news um, over the last six weeks. There hasn't been, you know, a steady flow, mm-hmm. but there's been there's been enough certainly to occupy time. Um, and let's just hope it keeps coming and let's hope that the news keeps getting better. Exactly. And hopefully everything just progresses in the right way and sports is back full time. So I kind of want to get to dig a little deeper with you. You grew up in Brooklyn. What was life growing up in Brooklyn back then? I really had an an ideal childhood. I, 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 I think back on it and think about how fortunate it was. Uh, my parents, I have to give them a big responsibility about that, um, and 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 big shout out to them for for really making it so good. Uh, you know, I grew up in an area where there were a lot of kids on the block, and I know this is, times have changed since, but uh, you know, I didn't know any 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 different. I always thought everybody grew up the way I did. And, you know, I was the youngest kid on the block, but there were a lot of a lot of boys, and everybody played sports. And, you know, what it was nice outside, we either played football in the fall on the street or, you know, some some street hockey. Uh, it was baseball in the spring and sprinkle in a little basketball, whether it was in the playground or or neighbors backyards or, or anywhere else. So uh, there was always there was always something to keep us busy. There's no question about that. Uh, and it was it was a great childhood. Uh, I really I really enjoyed it. As I said, I didn't know anything was was different. Uh, my my family certainly had had some you know things that I had to be worried about over the years. And uh, in terms of my my dad was was never really very healthy, uh, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. but you know I they did a great job of you know protecting me from that. And you know I I had a great great childhood, great education, great opportunities. I was always always running around and, and most important in the summer times, I got an opportunity to go to camp where, you know, I wound up, wound up meeting a person who would be my friend uh, over 40 years later, which is not much more you can ask for for that. Right. And that's Kutcher sports Academy in Massachusetts, right? Uh, well, it's now in Massachusetts. It's in the great, it's in the Berkshires back then. Uh, the first, uh, camp was in Monticello, New York, okay. right around the corner from Kutcher's Country Club. So, uh, you know, it was a special place. Uh, it took a lot for me to to probably go to uh, summer camp because I probably had a little anxiety, uh, of, uh, separation anxiety. But fortunately, my neighbor was the camp doctor. Hmm. And so I figured, well, if he's there, it'll be a pretty good thing. And, <laughs> you know, and, and as my dad said to me one day, he goes, what, what's so bad about it? You'd be playing sports all day because I, I wish I could trade places with you. And I said, you know, he's got a point about that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as it turns out, the last kid I met in the in the bunk in my first year back in 1979, uh, and I thought I would hate this kid because he was wearing a Yankees T-shirt, turns out to be my my best friend uh, 41 years later. And who's that? Uh, that would be one Kenneth Gary Albert. Wow, uh, Kenny Albert. Well-known. Yeah, uh, named after Ken Hodge. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but he was... He was. He arrived uh, on the, my parents because I was a little nervous about things. I was one of uh, a handful of kids that had their parents drive them up. Kenny came a little later because he came by the bus, so he was probably the last of the seven bunk mates that I met, and the one that uh, that I'm still in touch with today. Hmm. Was was sports always a big part of your life growing up? Were you always a fan? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, as my mother used to say to me, if if 
batting averages was your math homework, you'd be getting straight A's. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a, I was a fairly good student, but I you know I just didn't have the attention span for school that I had for sports. Um, and I don't know why that that was. Maybe because I was the youngest child. Um, who had an older brother and a father that were big sports fans and maybe had to do with all the kids on my block liking sports. But for ever, ever since I could remember, uh, I always wanted to be outside playing ball of some sort. I, I, was a, I was a restless kid with a lot of energy, which uh, made my mother crazy sometimes, but that was, that was the way I was. And, uh, you know, thankfully I had a, had a mother who accepted that uh, and a dad who could relate to it. And, and from there it was off and running, but sports for, for as long as I can remember has always been a part of my life. And the funny thing is it, sometimes I, I, I sometimes joke about being in this business that, you know, sometimes it's like being in, you know, working in the ice cream factory, you know, you, you're around the ice cream all day and you really need to eat it all the time. And, and the funny thing is, you know, I'll come home after after work or something like that, and and I'll still watch sports. And if I'm on vacation, I'll probably watch more of it than when I am when I'm working. So hmm. it's it's just like it's it's second nature to me, and it's it's always been something I loved, and I probably loved it for different reasons over the years. Uh, I think I loved it as a kid because I just enjoyed playing so much, and and boy, I marvel at the way I once used to be able to move even though I was, you know, nothing near a, a professional athlete. But I, I look at myself now and I'm like, boy, how did that happen? Um, but now I, I enjoy it for so many reasons, um, you know, and certainly something we could use now is, is, is you know, it, it, it lifts people up. Mm -hmm. um, I just love seeing the impossible happen or the improbable happen. Um, you know, the, the great upset, the brilliant performance. Mm -hmm. uh, I, love the, I love the psychology that goes into it sometimes. And, and I, I just love sometimes it's just it's, it's things that happen. I mean, you look at great upsets and, and, you know, where teams come from or how the momentum builds and, mm -hmm. and you, you get to a spot like Miracle on Ice and, you know, you know, nobody, nobody. And there'll never be another sporting event like that in our lifetime or at least in my lifetime um, that, you know, here were these kids who had no shot going into this tournament and here they are they're presented with this opportunity and you know they they play as well as they can play on a given night and it all falls into place uh you know they they play a team that that is not used to being pressured they play the same it's you know they it's like uh they stood right up to them they played the same style they threw it right back at them and and the fact is you know a team that wasn't used to feeling pressure suddenly felt pressure and we saw how the, how the reaction was, and uh, and sure enough, the the Americans uh, go on to win that game, and mm -hmm. subsequently the gold medal two two days later. And it's uh, it's as I said, it's the greatest sporting event of my lifetime, and and there'll be nothing that ever matches that. But you know, the memories that that were built uh, as a kid um, from sports, the moments that we have today, um, and, and again, I mean, look, we're all sitting around right now, and and we're all living without it, and. We're all looking to get back to normalcy, and, and you think about things such as Mike Piazza's homer after nine eleven. How mm -hmm. that kind of that signaled the you know the change that you know it was like it was okay to enjoy things again. It was okay to be happy again. Right. Um, and I think we're you know we're, I it, I don't know when that moment's going to happen again, it, but it's going to happen. And boy, I can't wait for it. Yeah, I can't wait for it either. And it's it's what we need. It's I mean, you see it with the yeah. ratings with the Last Dance on ESPN is getting crazy ratings. Uh, and yep. the sponsorship just for the NFL draft for, you know, a hundred brands advertising to the NFL draft and like more than 60 of them, this is going to be their first NFL draft. So people are craving sports. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we have a lot of time on our hands and, uh, and today, uh, being the day of the NFL draft actually to me has felt like the first day of what it used to be like before six weeks ago when, mm. when everything shut down. It, suddenly today feels like a, a regular day again. Right. Now, getting back to you instead of the NFL draft, because that's why I got you here. <laughs> <laughs> so you attended Midwood High School. and then, went to, then you went to NYU. You roomed with Kenny Albert. Yes, it, was that something you guys planned out at camp? Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't know how he'll tell you the story, but the way I remember it is um, now we went to camp together for six consecutive summers and the seventh uh, Kenny 
was uh, decided to intern for the NHL. It was before our senior year of, of college, and I went back to camp for another summer. But I remember specifically talking to him one day, and I don't even know how it really came up, but I remember saying to him, you know, hey, you know, where are you thinking about college? Because obviously when we get back from the summer, it's, you know, back then that's when you started to make your decisions and, you know, you sent out the applications before November 15th, obviously, and you, you waited to see what happened. And mm-hmm. he said, and I, I, I really was leaning toward NYU. I don't, I don't know if I really had a second school in mind because I wanted to be in the city. Um, and I knew Columbia was, was a little out of my reach. And so I kind of asked him that question and he mentioned, you know, he was thinking about NYU and, and I was like, really? And uh, I said, I, I'm thinking about going there. And he said, mm-hmm. oh man, we could room together. And I'm like, I'm like done, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, all right, sold. So, so from that point on, I, I had it in my mind, like, all right, this is what's going to happen. And I, I went early decision to NYU and I got in and December 15th, I'm signed, sealed and delivered. And so the first thing I did, I remember, is I called Kenny and I said, hey, I, I got in. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I said, now we just got to wait on you. And he goes, well, you know, I, I might not go there. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wait, wait, wait a second here. You know, that wasn't part of the plan. You know, And, uh, and I had to sweat it out. He, he applied to a couple of schools, I remember, uh, you know, schools in big cities like GW and BU. And, um, and I, there might have been one or two others sprinkled in. But uh, ultimately, after, after sweating it out for about four months or so, he told me, he goes, it's NYU. And I was like, all right. And, and, and we were in. And it was, uh, you know, it was kind of it was weird because it was kind of like camp all over again, just just at a little different stage of our lives. So it was, it was pretty unique. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know how he dealt with me for four years because it was a lot, it was a bigger sample sample size than camp was in two months. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not the easiest person, but, uh, God bless him. He, he made it through four years and, uh, we didn't fight too much, which, which was good. We, we had some fights just because, uh, uh, they were more like hockey fights because we <laughs> like to joke around a lot, but, uh, but, but somehow we made it through with, with, with very few fights. There you go. And still friends today. So that, that's uh, something. Yeah, much, much to his chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> and then during college, you spent your summers with the hockey maven, the great Stan Fischler. What did you learn yeah. from that time? Uh, that was, that was, that was incredible. Uh, and that job came courtesy of Kenny, uh, because I remember it was my senior year of high school. Uh, it was May and I get a call one day and from Kenny and he says, Hey, would you have any intern interest in interning for Stan Fischler? Now I had Stan's books growing up and I, I didn't really, I didn't have cable because Brooklyn wasn't wired for cable at that point, but I knew mm. who Stan was. And I was like, wow, that would be something. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I'd love to. And he's like, uh, he's, so he says, okay, here's his number and call him. I'm like, really? <laughs> and, I, and I was, you know, again, at, at 17 and senior in high school, I mean I, I mean, I think my teeth were chattering when I called. I was so nervous, you know. And Stan has, this, you know, that gravelly voice, that, that, you know, that same tone. Hello. <laughs> and, and I was, and I said, hi, Mr. Fishler. My name's Rich Ackerman. And, I, you know, I got your number from Kenny Albert. And I'm calling about, you know, potential internship possibility. You know, and I went through the whole, whole rigmarole. Right. And, and he goes, why don't you come up on, uh, on Wednesday? We'll talk. Uh, yeah, Stan would say, and of course, and he says, "Where he says, where are you coming from?" And I told him Brooklyn, and he's Brooklyn. And he goes, "You know, of course that that was a big plus for Stan." And, right. You know, and then they, of course he, I had no idea. I knew Stan was a big hockey maven, but I didn't know he was just as big a connoisseur of the New York subway. Absolutely system. So right. Course, you know, he's telling me all he you transfer at 96th Street. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I come up and I'm I'm nervous again. You know, I'm coming straight from school and and i don't know what to expect and you know i walk in and and there's like there are like 10 people everywhere i look mm-hmm. there's somebody in a any any spot that you have that that's that's free you know there was somebody working and you know i, I i'm you know terrified of the guy and he comes out and <laughs> you know i'm waiting for him he finally comes out and he you know he says nice to meet you you know <laughs> and, and uh, i said nice to meet you too and he goes uh go talk to vic it was Vic Morin who was uh, working for him at the time and, and waited, later went on to work with ESPN. And, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the NHL as well, he says, uh, he'll get you started on some stuff and, uh, you know, pull up a chair any way you could find a space. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and just, uh, as we say, get to it. I'm like, that's a great like, impersonation. 
<laughs> and I'm like, get get to it. I'm like, uh, like, you know, that means I got the job. He goes, of course you got the job. You know, <laughs> I, I figured there'd be like a selection process. I'm like, I had no idea. But the thing that um, was really good at the time, and, and it was really important to me, even though I didn't really know it, and it may not have been the intention. My dad had passed away a couple of months before, hmm. um, and really that along with college was really kind of a, a new start and it kind of really cushioned the blow, but really more than anything else is also in addition to getting my foot in the door, uh, I became the only intern that Stan had really employed over the summer. There are some people who dropped in, uh, such as Alan Crater, um, who is a freelance writer, uh, around the, around the hockey scene that, that many hockey fans may know of. He was uh, one of a few that would drop in from time to time, but for the most part, it was me alone, um, and, you know, Stan would leave me work that he expected me to do over a couple of days, and he, he really, I, I, I'm still to this day stunned, uh, you know, he, he really left it to me to get it done, and mm. he put a lot of faith in me, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was able to get it done for him. I hope I, you know, got it done to the best of my ability and, and made him happy about it, but, um, yeah, I remember the first week, uh, he left me. He left me work, and he calls on on Tuesday afternoon, and he says to me, "How'd it go with that work? How much have you gotten <laughs> done so far?" And I said, "Well, I just, I just, I just wrapped it up." He goes, "You just wrapped it up? That was supposed to last you the whole week." <laughs> you know, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, I mean, really, too. There, you know, there's at, at that point in time, it's just me in a room. I was afraid to pick up the phone, and of course, Kenny knew the number there. He was the only one that called me. I didn't even call my mother to tell her how the day was going. You know that. <laughs> so all I did was there was no internet. I didn't even put on the TV. You know, I just I, I was afraid that like you know somebody would check up on me or there'd be a camera in the room that showing me was you know slouching. <laughs> You know, so that's all I did, you know, right. and, and, and too, like, as it pertained to something I said before, you know, I didn't have much of an attention span for school or patience for school, but if there was something I really liked, I could sit with that for hours. So, you know, transcribing tapes of, you know, of, of, of Neil Smith talking about, you know, who was better, Troy Murray or, you know, one of the Sutter brothers, you know, that was, that was like paradise mm. for me. So you know, this, this was great, but you know, so the funny thing was when Stan called, he says, I don't know what I'm going to have you do tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so that was an, but that was an enjoyable summer. And not only did I, did I learn a lot of responsibility and, and, and he put a lot of faith in me, you know, that also became the first summer where I actually interviewed somebody. I'll never forget. It was July 9th of 1986 with John Van Beesbrook. Um, wow. He was going to be on live at five and, you know, through Kenny, uh, he was supposed to be on with Marv. Um, I had arranged the interview, and because um, I was also interviewing Marv for, for for something that Stan was working on, so I just kind of said to Stan, "Hey, you know, we can get like a, a two for one special here." <laughs> and and so and the best part is, so Stan says to me, "I want you to write up a list of questions, and and then we'll go over and then I'll tell you what I want you to ask, and we'll kind of you know mix them all together." Mm -hmm. And and I'll never forget this. So you know, he looks at my questions. And he says, I liked them all. And, you know, he, and, you know, however many he wanted to use, he used. Um, but he says he, he gave me his questions, which were mostly, you know, uh, some variation of mine. So it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was good. I felt I felt kind of good about it. But he says to me, there's one question you have to ask. <laughs> I said, OK. He goes, I want to know why he gave the Canadians the finger after game four, I think, I, I, I'm not sure. It was one of the games right. against the Canadians in the Stanley Cup semifinals that year. Uh, and I, was, I looked at him, like, with these wide eyes and incredulous look. I'm like, Stan, I, I can't. It's my first interview. I'm like, you know, I, and, and even though I was close in size to Van Beesbrook at the time, I'm thinking, like, this guy's going to kill me. I'm right. like, I can't ask him this question. He goes, you have to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, <laughs> And I was like, well, I guess this is, you know, kind of a good learning experience right here. And and sure enough, I asked the question and I, I kind of learned, you know, part of me was also learning how to frame the question. Right. And, and of course, Van Beesbrook laughed at it. So that made me feel a lot better. And that <laughs> kind of that that took the edge off. But but it was things like it was those little things that that really uh, that really 
made a dent and, and, and obviously still stick with me today. And, and you know, we're just great learning experiences. I, I you know, I never made a, a dime from that, that job, but it was one of the best jobs I ever had. I, I probably enjoyed, have enjoyed that more than anything else in my career. And I, and I've told Stan that, um, and I always find that funny thing. And, but it's, it was probably the most enjoyable job I've ever had. It's the first one, but it was also, uh, the most enjoyable and, and memorable. Wow. And you know, you know, there's so many people in the business now. Oh, I interned for Stan. I interned for Stan. It's remarkable how many people have actually interned. Inter- yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny because obviously he doesn't live at the same spot anymore, but I could still remember his office and where everything was. And even though he was never in the house, as I mentioned, I was always afraid. I never sat at his desk because I always thought that, you know, that stands that that's mm-hmm. not my desk. Uh, that, that, but I remember where everything you know, every, every number was on, was, you know, pinned on the cork board and everything like that. And to this day, I still remember Michael Berger's uh, home address and phone number because of where it was. <laughs> Just staring at it. <laughs> 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 you know, but, but, yeah, Stan was great. And, and to, I think to some degree, Stan and I are, you know, kind of kindred spirits a little. So, so that also, I think, uh, really, really made it, made the relationship work. That is great. And then after college, you worked various stations, Different cities, Charlotte, Washington, Chicago, and former Carolina Panthers head coach, now Washington Redskins head coach, Ron Rivera was a colleague of yours in Chicago. Is it true? He was. Is it true you spent Thanksgiving with him? Uh, I almost did. He invited me, and honestly, that was one of the more to this day that that still is one of the touching moments of my life. Um, I was new in town. I moved to Chicago in uh, the last week of February of '94. And so this was November of 94. You know, I, I was only there, you know, what, uh, eight months or so. And one day I, I became very close because Ron used to do a lot of weekend shows. And actually, mm-hmm. he was with the first person at the station that I met. I didn't even know he was Ron. I knew Ron Rivera because right. I, I loved the 85 Bears. And I knew everything about the guy professionally, but I didn't know what he looked like. Right. And when I meet him at this Bolarama, uh, <laughs> it was a, bowl, a charity bowling event. You know, they introduced me to this guy, this guy, Ron, who works the station and he's sitting behind a desk. So I don't know how big he is. And he didn't he didn't talk anything about himself. You know, we just talked for about an hour. And uh, and somehow, like some guy says to me later in passing, you know, oh, you you met Ronnie. I'm like, yeah, real, real nice guy. And, you know, and uh, and I don't remember exactly how it comes up, but somebody kind of alludes to the fact that he's Ron Rivera. I'm like. Like, wait a second, that, that's Ron Rivera? <laughs> like, like the guy who played for the Bears? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, because he never, you know, he was sitting, so I didn't know how big he was. And he never talked about himself, not even a reference to, you know, football or his playing career or right. anything, you know. Um, but, you know, just a, just a real great guy, salt of the earth. And, uh, you know, and the, so one day in November, he just walks up to me. And I'm not really thinking, you know, a, you know anything more past the week than it is. And he just puts his finger in my chest and goes, you're coming to my house for Thanksgiving. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like thinking to myself, like, what? And I'm like, Thanksgiving. And it's like three weeks away. I'm yeah. like, uh, he's like, and he kind of mm-hmm. looks at me like, you know, and he says, you're new in town. You don't have anywhere to go. You don't have any family. You're coming to my house. And, uh, you know, I happened to be working that day. And, you know, I really wasn't. He would live down in the suburbs at the time. And I wasn't going to be done until like after six. Right. So I said, you know, I said, look, I, I'm really, really very flattered and touched by this. But, uh, you know, I said, by the time I get out there, it's going to be, you know, maybe after seven. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, just just eat without me. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm I'm fine. But I, but, you know, is the it was the thought that, right. you know, more nice. than any more than anything else. And, you know, it wasn't like I. I had, you know, lamented like, "Woe is me! I have nowhere to go for Thanksgiving." I, I wasn't even thinking about it. Right, I mean, he just took it upon I, himself. Yeah, and, and three weeks before, so I mean, that kind of gives you an insight to what he what he might be like as a coach. That this guy, of all people, and and this is not to, uh, you know, really besmirch anybody that worked at the station, but nobody else you know said or or thought that you know right. or did that um you know but here this guy you know he kind of took it upon himself and 
and he realized that and he invited me and, and again to this day it's uh you know it, it really it really meant a lot he's a, he's a great guy and uh, you know i wish him wish him all the success in the world i'm sorry that it came to an end in, in charlotte for him because uh, he was doing such great things there but he's off and running in washington and uh seems like they're they're in they're in good shape there so i i hate it being a giant fan that he's in the uh in the NFC East, but but I I, I will root for him uh, very quietly though. <laughs> do you guys still keep in touch? Yeah, I do. Uh, I spoke to him uh, right before actually he got the job. Um, you know, I was telling him because at the time, obviously, it looked like the Giants were going to be making a change. I said, "Hey, look, if if that happens, not that I root for anybody to lose their job. If that happens, if you need anything here, you know, you let me know, and and you know, let me try to reciprocate what what you did for me that Thanksgiving." But mm. um, I'll call a great story though. Uh, you know, I, I I will email him uh, before games just to say good luck because I I really you know just wanted to. You know, not not that I wanted to return or anything like that, but you know, I just wanted him to know that 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 uh, that sentiment was with him, um, that somebody was you know kind of pulling for him in some way, shape, or form, even if it was just me. And he'd always like get back to me on game day saying thanks, and I'm like, what's what's he doing? He, <laughs> you know, he's got to have more more things to think about than right. me here, you know. And uh, and so it, the year they went to the Super Bowl, I kind of got a little superstitious. I I, I can't stop now. And uh, and I almost forgot the day of the NFC Championship game, and I email him like nine o'clock in the morning, and I don't remember what time kickoff was, but probably about two and a half hours before kickoff, I, I get a response from him, and I'm like, like, what's he doing? This is this is the biggest game of his coaching career, you know, and he's responding to my email. I'm like, man, you know, so. You know, sure enough, they, they go to the Super Bowl, and two weeks later, I, I email them again. And, like, at 2.40 in the afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday, I get an email saying, thanks. <laughs> you know, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, this is the Super Bowl. I mean, it's okay. Uh, he's probably superstitious, too. Could be. Yeah. And, you know, he probably, you know, my guess is that, you know, he probably looked at it as, you know, this is my time before the game. It's, like, kind of relax and mm-hmm. whatever. It, you know, kind of, I guess, decompress before the, the, the big moment comes. You know, maybe it was therapeutic for him. I don't know. But, but you know, again, coupled with the Thanksgiving story, this is the kind of character uh, that, that he has. And, uh, I mean, he's just – he's a really special guy. And I noticed right before we recorded this, you did a update for 2020 on WFAN, and you mentioned Ron Rivera in your update. Yeah, it was the number two pick in the draft. Uh, mm-hmm. So he goes to uh, he goes to Washington. As I said, they're off and running, and they're 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 going to get getting going to get an impact player, which is uh, a pretty good way to start your coaching tenure. Eventually, you come back to New York, you join WFAN. How big of an opportunity was that for you? Well, that was huge. It, it's funny because it didn't happen uh, right away, um, and. You know, it's obviously, I lived in Chicago, and for all the places I've been, I've loved them all, and they all taught me different things. Chicago was really the toughest. I thought it would be uh, the place I'd love the most, but it really was a, a very different uh, lifestyle there, and and I really felt kind of isolated. Uh, when I lived in Charlotte or Washington, I felt it was a lot easier to get back to New York or see family and friends and stuff like that. Uh, Chicago is a little different for as great a sports town as it is. And as nice a town as it is, uh, it's really cold in the wintertime. And that, that used to get to me and everybody I knew was back in New York at the time. When I first left town, you know, some people were scattered. I lived in, in, you know, different places and, and in Washington, DC, and I'd, I'd made a lot of friends and, and, uh, and Kenny Albert had lived there at the same time as well. So that was, uh, you know, kind of felt like an extension of home. And in Chicago, it felt a little different. And I really wanted to get back home. And I had been in touch with, with the people at FAN. They always told me, um, we don't really have any anything full time, you know, and we don't want to tell you to move back here because, you know, we don't really have anything. But, you know, if you were here, we would use you. But you're not here. So, so finally, after hearing that for about a year and a half or so, I came to the conclusion, I really didn't want to live in Chicago anymore. I wanted to be back home. And I said, they're never going to hire me unless I'm there. So I said, I'm going to, basically, I said, I'm going to call their bluff and move home. (laughs) (laughs) Because I figured at the time, I said, you know, I could live at home. It's not a big deal. You know, I could figure out everything. That'll just kind of be the centerpiece and I'll plan it all around that. So I move home. Or tell them I'm moving home and, and they don't hire me. 
<laughs> but I was fortunate that I, I had uh, I got a job with the NBA at the time, voicing uh, some things, and it's that started a relationship that's been now 23 years uh, going strong. And one of my friends from Chicago had just gotten the job as the program director of ESPN Radio, um, which at the time was only on weekends. So what I would do was. I'd, I'd be doing voiceovers for the NBA during the week, and then I'd drive up to Bristol on the weekends because, hmm. again, it was only it was only weekends at that point. Right. And so that was really my my full time job. And I guess you know whether it was a need or hearing me somewhere else or whatever. Um, several months later, FAN finally came calling, and I said, "Okay, great." So I was working part time during the week at FAN and 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 on the weekends at ESPN. And so it was kind of nice because it always kept me busy. It was all different. And then eventually, uh, about uh, four months after doing that, FAN hired mm. me full time. And uh, and you know, it's 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 been a it's been a pretty good run. It's been pretty unique, and that's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, but you, you know, you did updates on the famed Mike of the Mad Dog show on WFAN. What was that like? No, you, you know, uh, you had the big audience. You knew you had the the audience. Yeah, I knew something was different. Not that I ever got into this business because I wanted notoriety or anything like that, but I knew life was a little different. The first week I was training and I did updates and, and people started like friends that I hadn't heard from, like from high school and things like that, started calling me and like, you know, they were like so happy and they were like, this is unbelievable. I knew I knew it was a little little different than anything else I'd ever experienced. Uh, you know, I, the, the, the station itself um, – you know, it provided all, all sorts of uh, uh, <laughs> interesting moments and, and, and laughs. Uh, when, you know, the guy I, I've always gotten along with the best is Steve Summers. Uh, yeah, I guess because we like we have a we share a love of slapstick that that really is uh, unparalleled. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the, and the more physical or 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 uh, you know insulting it is, the better it is. <laughs> so you know, that was always always funny. Imus was always uh, you know he was a guy that always kind of kept you on your toes. And, and Mike and Chris were, it was, it, I, I don't know how to really describe it because it wasn't like we were, uh, you know, a traveling band or anything like that. But right. that was, that was really, uh, people always would, it's the type of show that the type of thing that for all, any other show I could be on, nobody else ever said anything back to me that was said to me on the air. You know, when, mm -hmm. when Mike and Chris would, would rib you or something like that, they would, they would tell you. Um, you know, if there was something like you were, you know, you were the, the subject of the joke or something, you know, people would come back and go, oh, remember that time this or, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and too, obviously that there were, there were moments, uh, that, that, that were really special. I mean, I remember, uh, Friday before Memorial day in 1998 when Piazza came, I mean, there was nothing to me that was, you know, it went from a slow Friday to one of the biggest moments uh, you know that that there was in uh, you know in in New York sports. You know that was uh, that was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So you know uh, it was it was really remarkable how how quickly that happened. And and also that was to a degree I I I give those guys a lot of credit because I think you know whether it was something the Mets were using as a trial balloon or something. But I I think I think the that week of phone calls and mm. um. Uh, you know, and talk on the station constantly about the Mets, you know, whether they could go out and didn't want to get Piazza or were reluctant, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. I think that, that really, you know, that, that week showed the power of sports talk radio, at least at the time and, and how much power that show had. Right. Uh, because I really think that forced the Mets hand or at least, you know, kind of, mm -hmm. you know, grab somebody by the lapels in the office and said, we have to, we have to make this trade. Right. Yeah, they did. They had that. They had that power. The Mike and the Madoff show, without question. You know, and 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 for as much as any sports figure, whether front office type or athlete, you know, may have had an issue with you know any criticism or anything like that. You know, they were they would be the first to be on at five oh five. I mean, everybody knew that was the power broker spot. Do you mm -hmm. want to? Do you want to get your message out on New York sports talk radio? That's the place to do it, you know, and that that and that's pretty that's pretty special, right? I mean, yeah. I can't take any any credit for it, but but to be a part of that in some way, even if even on the periphery, that, that's uh, you know, that's memorable. And you know, right now we're going through the, this pandemic where everybody's keeping everything sanitized, and I know, <laughs> I know you are are I guess a neat freak or 
You like it Not clean. neat. But you like it you <laughs> right, you like it sanitized, you like it wiped down, you don't like germs. But you know But wait, Don Imus, he got on you about that, didn't he? Oh, all the time. As a matter of fact, um, you know, he tried, and, and I don't know if this was more more of a radio bit or just trying to mess with me or both. But he comes out one day and he licks my phone. And so <laughs> I've heard I the like, audio; it's it's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not using this phone, so I actually switched it with one of the other phones in the newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, subsequently. Uh, you know, Imus comes down with pneumonia. Now, obviously, I think he had a vulnerability because he had it had a collapsed lung at some point. Right. But uh, he comes down with pneumonia. Right, I mean, right after that, like a day or two later. And so he comes back to me, and he had you know, he had that gruff personality, and he looks at me one day and he goes, "Hey, Rich, I got pneumonia after looking your phone." <laughs> and, I, and I look at him. I said, "I said, well, who told you to lick the phone?" I said, "Especially, <laughs> especially before I could clean it." He goes, he "Goes." That's a good point. I should have thought of that. <laughs> That's a good impersonation too, Hack. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I guess you're around them enough, but uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't claim, I can't cop to being a neat freak, and and certainly uh, Mr. Albert, among others, could could you know uh, verify that. It's just you know when we were in a story at, at the fan studios in the sub cellar. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sub sub cellar. I mean, yeah, as John Minko likes to say, you had to go upstairs to get to the basement. <laughs> You know, it was a mess. And, you know, even back then, you know, we all shared the same desks and phones and computer keyboards, you know, and, you know, there were people who'd come in, you know, you had to share. And honestly, I just didn't like being sick or, you know, I didn't want to be sick because it meant you you couldn't work or, you know, and, you know, you had to work and you'd be like, you know, your head would be clogged. It was just, you know, the optics, I, I just didn't, you know, so I... As soon as like cleaning products became available back back in the day, I, I decided to start cleaning it. I guess it was just a more of a peace of mind than anything else that, right. that made me do it, and you know I've kept doing it over the years. But now it's uh, I guess uh, sadly becoming the norm. Well, we have to talk about your relationship with Regis Philbin. <laughs> How did that friendship form? It was very interesting. It started one day. We happened to go to the same gym. Uh, we live in the same neighborhood. And I see them. I, I probably saw them for like six months. All, we always used to go the same time. We were on the same schedules. So, you know, one day I just kind of, he was watching the Mike and the Mad Dog simulcast on, on one of the TVs at the gym. And I just kind of was there. And, you know, I just went over to him and introduced myself. And he knew who I was. And I was like, wow. And, and we just started talking. I never really thought that you know that conversation would lead to a friendship that has lasted uh over 15 years at this mm. point so uh so it, it's pretty uh it's pretty remarkable and he's he's quite a guy um still going strong and uh you know he spends spends his winters in california so i miss him dearly when when it's winter uh he was supposed to come back uh a month ago but didn't because that's when everything uh you know the the right. the, the, the roof just caved in on all this and uh, he decided to stay out there, but uh, but I'm hoping that that I'll get a chance to see him soon. But it's uh, it's been quite it's been quite a ride, and and you know the one thing about Regis is, uh, you know what you saw in the air is what he's like, and for a guy of his stature to be so regular and grounded, mm-hmm. I mean he really is at heart still a kid from the Bronx, right. um, and and we've always just had a great time. I mean our our relationship has really been based on laughs and. Uh, you know, baseball and comedy, and I guess we have similar tastes and uh, similar styles, and we like the same foods and things like that. And it, it's uh, it's been pretty special. I mean, it really more than anything else, it was sort of started uh, by just solving the problems of the world uh, the way only we can, and uh, and talking sports. So um, it it has been it has been wonderful. I um, I mean, you talk about a guy who's got a big heart and a great personality. Uh, that's definitely him. Yeah, I know he's been to your 40th, your 50th birthday celebrations. Yeah, and, yeah. And even, you know, he even had John for a little bit as a regular stint there on the Regis and Kelly show. That was kind of funny. I'll never forget it, how it all started. Was that his uh, idea? It was all his idea. You know, as I said, we'd sit there and we'd talk about, you know, how to solve the problems of the world and, and baseball and whatnot. And I got to say, he's a great wingman. Uh, I guess he's always wanted to see me, you know, dating somebody or married or whatever the case may be. And, you know, he'd always just yell out to some girl, hey, you, come here. 
<laughs> Come here. You know, and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, 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 you know, and he'd be like, he'd do the whole spiel. And he'd be like, wouldn't, don't you want to meet a nice guy? And, like, and then I'd have to say, like, either, A, I know her already. Don't worry. We're, we're good friends. Or, or, you know, she's married. You know? <laughs> not, not realizing this poor woman has a ring on, you know. And, uh, but on this particular day, I'd never forget, it was, it was January 11th. We're sitting there. Uh, as we normally would, and you know, just talking, talking sports, and out of nowhere, he just slams his hand on the table and he goes, "I'm going to get you a date on the show." <laughs> and it like took me a second to really realize what was going on. I'm like, "What did he just say?" I'm like, and then I realized he said he just said he's going to get me a date on the show. I'm like, "What?" And he says, "Yeah, I'm going to get you a date on the show." I'm, I'm like, "No, no, I'm okay, I'm okay," and. He goes, no, I'm going to get you a date on the show. And he keeps repeating this. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 thanks. Don't worry about it. Because, uh-huh. look, I don't like being set up. And, like, this is, the, like, the last thing I want is, you know. <laughs> National uh, I, TV I, show. I, yeah, I hate I hate reality TV. I hate being set up. And, like, you know, I'm bashful. I, I, you know, that's why they call it a private life. <laughs> so he says, tomorrow morning I'm talking to Gelman and we're getting you a date on the show. I'm like, don't talk to anybody. I don't want anything. <laughs> And he's and like the more I'm resisting, the more he's insisting. And he's uh-huh. like, "Come on, walk with me, talk to me. Let's let's talk about this." I'm like, "Let's not talk about this. I uh, don't. I'm good, you know." And sometimes, you know, it really would, you know, I, I just from knowing my conversations, you know, sometimes he would just run things past me that would wind up on the air the next day, you know, like I, I maybe he was like testing out the material or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping like this was one of those things, like yeah, he'll forget about it, be fine, you know. Right. And so I actually knew one of the, I knew some of the people that worked on the show and there was one girl I reached out to and I said, look, if he, if he starts talking about this tomorrow morning, get him off the ledge, <laughs> you know, kind of switch the subject so he kind of forgets about it. And, you know, I, I didn't want to be like the type of person who was, you know, who was, was like knew everything about him, but I did watch the show and obviously because I knew him, you know, I, I would watch every day, but I didn't let on to that. So. You know, so but he but he would then always say to me, "So, did you watch the show today?" You know, <laughs> so, so, you know he wanted it, wanted feedback, yeah. and so I I would tape the show uh, just in case, and you know, watch it later or something like that. And on this particular Tuesday morning, I, you know, I just decided to stay in bed a couple of minutes, and I'm you know behind a couple. I rewound and I'm I'm watching. You know, I'm like three or four minutes behind, and you know, my mother calls me about ten after nine, which is nothing unusual, and she says. You know, and we're just talking, and she just casually says, "Boy, you in trouble now." Like, what are you talking about? She says, "Aren't you watching the show?" And all of a sudden, my heart sinks, and I said, "I'm a couple of minutes behind. I'll call you back." <laughs> <laughs> and and he had mentioned me a couple of times previously, and any time he mentioned me, like within thirty seconds, the phone rings. Right. Boom, you know, and and on this day, I'm watching this, and I'm mortified. And I'm like, my first reaction is, oh, my God, what did what did he just do? And right. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe people just thought it was funny. That'll be the end of it, you know. And sure enough, my phone's not ringing. And so finally, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, it's about 9.45, almost 10. And so far, it's quiet. I'm like, yeah, maybe nobody caught this. Right. This is okay. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the calls start flooding in. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, my God. And I'm like you know, I'm answering all these questions from everybody and I'm like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on. I mean, he just said it, you know, it's, right. that's, you know, and then he calls me and back then he really didn't call me. Um, you know, we see each other in the gym. We saw each other on the street. If I needed anything, you know, I knew where to find them, mm-hmm. you know, but, but he never called me at home and he calls me at home and I pick up the phone and he goes, so were you watching the show today? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I was. He goes, so, he goes, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm like, wow, this is something, something interesting, isn't it? And then I knew, then I heard his voice change, and it kind of became like more fatherly than anything else. Right. And so he said, look, he goes, we'd like to do this if you're interested. If you don't want to do it, there's no pressure. You don't have to do it. Right. He goes, but but he goes, I think this might be something you you might like and you might have fun with. So. You know, he says, why don't you take a little while and think about it and let me know either way. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it. 
that fine, don't do it. Right. You know, but if you do, let me know. So I said, all right, I'll I'll call you. I'll call you after the show tomorrow. I'll, you know, I'll have an answer by then. And and so of course the the phone continues to keep ringing. And you know, there's like an advisory board of which uh, you know Kenny's probably the chairman of. <laughs> um, and uh, and so everybody's telling me I have to do this, and I'm like. Like, I have to do it. I'm like, this is this is outrageous. I'm like, I don't do this type of stuff. I'm like, right. I, you know, I, I don't I want nothing to do with this. You know, that's, that's the last thing I want to, to go on national TV looking for a date. I mean, like, what am I? I'm not the bachelor, you know? <laughs> and so this is all like, every like so far it's like 172 to one, and I'm the one dissenter, you know. <laughs> and and so I said, you know, for all the people that want to say I should do this and it's, you know, it's the best thing for me to do. And I, I don't like it at all. I said, for, my mother has absolute veto power. If she says, don't do it. Or I figured, you know, you get at least a little, well, if you're not comfortable, don't do anything. You're not really comfortable doing. Right. I figured I'm going to get that from my mother. Right. If my mother says anything along those lines, that wipes out all the other 172 do it votes. Right. And so I call my mother and I tell her, yeah, everybody wants me to do this. And she says, Oh, you should absolutely do this. I'm like, what? I'm like, what happened to where was the life preserver I was looking for? <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, I'm out here looking for the Coast Guard, and my, you know, the boat just sails right past me. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, and and so at that point, I said, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this is exactly what I should be. I had that George Costanza moment. I should be doing the opposite of what I normally do. And so, you know, I really did not want to do it. I I reluctantly said yes. But I kind of figured going into it that, you know, look, you know, my mother also tried to rationalize with me. She's like, look, the fact you're not going to find a date out of it. You know, you know, get a date, but you're not going to really find a girlfriend. The, the chances are, you know, more that you won't than, than you will. And, you know, she just said, have fun with it. And, you know, and, and he said, you know, I kind of figured that, A, he was behind it and he wouldn't let anything happen. And it was all going to be, you know, knowing what the show was like, it was all going to be okay. It wasn't going to be too cheesy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have to worry about, you know, anything happening. So I said, you know, if I, if I, if I don't do it, you know, I, I may not miss it, but if I don't do it, I also may miss out on something good. Right. And, and, if, and if I say no, the opportunity is never going to come up again. Right. So I said, you know what, you know, throw caution to the wind. And, uh, you know, I, I never envisioned it being as big as it was. It wound up being really like a month-long uh, worth of spots on the show. I mean, we, we filmed about, I guess, six of the six. We, we filmed enough. We filmed two episodes. The first was about me. The second was they thought I was too nice, so they brought this, like, coach on trying to <laughs> give me an edge. And then, and then it was, you know, which was funny because I really wasn't taking to it. I mean, again, here I am trying to live outside the box, and I go right back into the box when when they have somebody trying to like tell me what to do that's different from what I am, you know. <laughs> and um, and then they filmed like the whole meet and greet thing, and they, you know, it, and it made like four or five segments. And of course, you know, everybody voting, and the girl who you know gets the date, and the date is on TV, and you know, the date being the date being filmed was kind of funny uh it was filmed during a snowstorm hmm. um but every time the the uh the cameras were on we went to uh Keen steakhouse they actually did it it was like the greatest date planned to ever it, like they they planned it for all my favorite spots they wanted to take me to peter luger's have steak there but then the, the snowstorm canceled that mm -hmm. they took me they took me to a rangers predators game <laughs> um and then and then we went out like post date drinks at the at, you know in the time warner center in manhattan so it was a, a you know as date as dates go i mean as far as events mm -hmm. go i mean it was a perfect it was a perfect date um but it was it was really difficult like even even my date uh I, I think we struggled when the cameras were on, and then the cameras were off. It was just like the easiest, easiest time ever. But you right. felt so so conscious of the cameras right. being Spotlight. there. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny, but it was it was quite a run. I mean, it really was. It was extremely fun. It was uh, at first it was overwhelming because all these things started coinciding with like work picking up and and this, and I had to juggle everything. But you know, once you start to get into the rhythm of it. And I became so close with the crew and, and the cameraman and, you know, everybody who was involved. It was like it was like this whole clique that I was part of that was really enjoyable. And, you know, it kind of feels like you're in the moment and you're feeling like this is so much fun. I'm having a great time. 
and then it ends. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, and now what? You know? right. <laughs> and so, so it was, uh, it was quite an experience from that, from that standpoint. Hmm. So you had that run in with Regis Philbin. Then I know you were at Chase Stadium for game six and seven of the 1986 World Series. Yes. And you had a run in with Jerry Seinfeld after game seven. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate that my college roommate had tickets to all four home games. And, and I took his spot in game six because he decided he wanted to work with Greg Gumbel, who had just been hired by MSG to do uh, Nick games, uh, filling in for Marv. And so he wanted to work with him. That was the first availability to work with him. So I went to game six and what a night that was. And right. sure enough, game seven was two days later because game, uh, the Sunday game was, was rained out. So they made it up Monday night. And so Kenny asked me to go with him and I was not going to say no, that's for sure. And about the sixth inning or so, or fifth or sixth inning, I just turn around and, and there's Jerry Seinfeld sitting behind us. And now at that time that was pre, Seinfeld. So he, you know, really, the only time you really saw him was if you watched the Night Show or anything like that. I was, I was a huge fan. I had just seen him at Westbury Music Fair uh, two months earlier, and, and it was great. It was so much fun. And I'm looking at him, and like, and I, I'm like, I can't believe he's sitting right there. So I, I, I had to introduce myself for some stupid reason, as if he would care. But I was like, it was like more personal satisfaction. I, I guess I didn't really care. <laughs> and, uh, and so he. Uh, you know, we, we started talking and he was a really good guy. And, you know, it turns out he was a huge Met fan, which I, I didn't know at the time because, you know, you really didn't know. There was no internet. There was right. no Seinfeld. And uh, so, you know, comes seventh inning stretch. We're singing, take me out to the ball game together and everything like that. And, you know, the Mets win. We're I-5 and this is great. And uh, so afterwards, obviously, because, again, going back to the time, I, I loved seeing him and I would have loved to have seen him again. I said, hey, I said, uh, do me a favor. I, I try to read the paper every week to see where comedians are playing because I like I like to, you know, go to comedy clubs and laugh and whatnot. And I said, would you please tell me, you know, in the event that I may miss something, here's my number. I had a I, my brother had given me personalized business cards <laughs> and I said, here's my number. And actually, I'm sorry, I almost uh, I almost ruined the story. I had asked him for an autograph in, in the process. And I said. You know, and he was great. And all I had in my my wallet were were three of my personalized business cards. So I, <laughs> at the end of the night, I said, "Here, please give me a call. Let me know because I'd love to love to go and and see you again." He said, "Great." And so we get out of Shea Stadium and I, we meet up with Kenny's family and I tell them the story about Seinfeld and she they said, "Oh, can we see the autograph?" And I got to take it out of my wallet and I realize I accidentally gave him back the autograph. <laughs> <laughs> on the car that he, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I can't believe that!" You know, um, he's gonna. Uh, this is this is gonna wind up in a routine somehow, someday. So, so yeah. So uh, that's that's my story from Game Seven. But years later, he goes on WFAN with Steve Summers, and I tell him the story sheepishly. You know, I said, like, "I'm sorry, I got to tell you the story." And I don't know whether he bailed me out or if this is true, but I'm gonna take him at his word. He says to me. His wallet was stolen about five minutes later because he went to buy one of those souvenir T-shirts outside of Shea Stadium, and somebody pickpocketed him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here I was expecting a call all these years, or, or, or you know, being being part of the routine about this idiot gave me my autograph back. Meanwhile, he, he might not have seen it. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Oh. And you've called everything from high school sports to college basketball to NFL Europe. You've worked at radio stations all over. What what do you find the most enjoyable? I really like play by play. I love being I've always loved being the rush of the game. And even even high school, uh, I loved it because it, it meant something to somebody. Uh, and you just see the weight of the, the, the result of the game or the or the learning process from it. You know, they it, it at every level, it's been different. You know, NFL Europe, it was a matter of survival for these guys, just trying to just trying to make an impact and, and, and get to the next level. Uh, college basketball, I mean, you see some of these guys grow over the years. It's, it's tremendous. But, you know, when you, when, you're, when you have a big game or you have a big moment, it, it just feels so good. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest thing to me, I've always, ever since I've gone to college or I went to college and, and, and started working the business, the thing I always loved was – getting to the arena early with mm -hmm. nobody in it and seeing it fill up. 
that has always been special to me. Um, and that rush of adrenaline before, before the opening tip, face off, first pitch, whatever the case may be, there's nothing like that, you know. And probably the biggest, the biggest day I'll ever remember is June 14th, 1994, that the nervous energy walking into Madison Square Garden mm. uh, with everybody there, you know, trying to figure out is this finally going to be the night or is this more heartbreak? And, and until that Brian Leach goal in the first period, you know, that's when the nervous energy finally lifted. But that, you know, that that's like the epitome of it all. Hmm. Well, I know you are like a savant when it comes to dates. So before I let you go, I'm going to throw out some dates and see if you remember them. Okay. Uh, Uh-oh. I, I'm, I'm on the spot now. Yeah, uh, little pressure. I had June 14, 1994 in there as a layup, but you just talked about it, so that's out. All right. <laughs> So how about October 25th, 1986? Oh, game six. Uh, It would would have been my dad's 55th birthday. That that would have been his first birthday after he passed. And when Kenny gave me the ticket to the game, uh, the first call went to my brother because I said, you know, it would have been dad's 55th birthday. We have to go to this. And my brother was only too willing to comply. And ironically, I remember saying to him earlier in the night, I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but something funny is going to happen tonight. You know, I said, it's dad's birthday. This is something funny is going to happen. But I'm sure enough, you know, at first it might have been Michael Sergio parachuting in. But uh, but it turned out, you know, Bill Buckner. So. All right. June 29th, 1979. Uh, That was the first day of camp when I met Kenny. Um, (laughs) That that was uh, that was a seminal moment. So, you know, I could tell you what Kenny was wearing. Yankee uh, (laughs) T-shirt. Again, you know, that's the last kid I'm going to like in the bunk wearing the Yankee T-shirt. Izod shorts and and green Adidas sneakers. That's some picture. All right. June 20th, 2018. June 20th, 2018. That was my 50th birthday celebration of Peter Luger's. Tremendous. And last but certainly not least, February 3rd, 2006. February third, two thousand six. That was the day I met you. At uh, we uh, we got to Torino. That's right. The Winter Olympics. Yeah, I was gonna, thought I was going <laughs> to stump you on that one. <laughs> I had to think about that for for a split second, but that was uh, yeah, that was that was quite that was that was quite an experience sitting uh, 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 spending a month in Torino, Italy. That was fun. And I will say for those listening, poor Ack, you worked mostly <laughs> overnights, and he had the worst room by the entrance <laughs> that had the most noise. I'll never forget it, but you did have a nice shower, I remember, right? Yeah, that was, you know, they finally asked me, like, with one week to go, and I'd already been living in the, the room for three weeks. I said, I said, you know, they asked me if I wanted to switch, and I was like, you know what, at this point, I, I've learned to cope with the shortcomings. I was like, I, you know, I, I, I had a good shower. I could live with that. I was <laughs> like, you know what? I said that I'm going to get a whole new set of problems I'm going to have to have to deal with. I don't, I don't want to do that, so, you know. <laughs> So that's, uh, I, I stuck with the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at the start of the show, I talked about on my open about uh, supporting small business. I'm a son of a small business owner. And uh, so is there a small business that you'd like to give a shout out to during this time yeah. right now? Yeah, I'll be the, I'll be the, you know, being the son of the pharmacist, I go to the mom and pop pharmacy in my building, Chateau Drugs. And boy, they've just been wonderful through this experience. They've been open. They've had supplies, gloves, masks, uh, you know, you name it. They've had it, paper products. And uh, they've been they've been really good for the neighborhood. And, and at the whole time, uh, you know, keeping keeping everybody in good spirits. So, uh, you know, I want to thank all the restaurants in the neighborhood for, for staying open, too. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I guess I, I guess I got to give the nod to the drugstore. That's awesome. And uh, yeah. got to support all those people in, in this tough time and act i appreciate your time tremendous stories you are the man and uh, i try you know, I, you know I wanted to say like the pizza slogan you tried all the rest now you tried the best but you know <laughs> i followed doc emrick and, and some some joe mick uh kenny was in this this group and uh mm-hmm. anson carter i mean how many people had Ultrick? uh you know i was like oh boy you know i'm real i'm i'm really bringing down the value here no so, way uh, no way so. <laughs> you were keeping it going my friend my pleasure. So thank you. Thank Bless. you and be well. All right. You as well. And uh, every, everybody stay safe and stay well. Thanks, Zach. All right. <laughs> Bye. Fun stuff from the Ack. He's a great storyteller and certainly has an impactful way of connecting with people. On the next episode of Mike Check on Sports, you can put it in the books. Mets broadcaster Howie Rose will join me. Take care. Brush your hair.